Welcome into Locked On Knicks. Today is free agency day, June 30th. Tonight at 6 p.m. We are going to be learning about where some of these free agents are going. As it turns out, we already have an idea of where a few of them are going, tampering be damned. So in our first segment, we're going to talk about some of the, the most recent rumors and or official things being reported, including the fate of Kyrie and Kemba and some cool rumors about KD and Kawhi. And then we'll get into some of the secondary options for the Knicks. Julius Randle, New York, has come out as the favorite for him. They apparently also have interest in Terry Rozier and a couple of other guys who I think would make a lot more sense. And we'll end off the show with our final predictions for free agency. Let you guys know what we think is realistically going to happen. Uh, we might also delve into dream scenarios just for a moment, but we're going to give our measured real takes on what we think is going to happen with the Knicks in free agency starting tonight. So all that and more coming up on Locked on Knicks. You are Locked on Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. Knox foul from behind. What he does is contagious. Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane to Trier. Trier drives. Becomes infectious. All right, and welcome into Locked on Knicks. Alex Wolf here, Gavin Shaw, across the river from me in New York. Uh, just wanted to remind you guys for the latest takes on NBA free agency, follow all of the Locked On Podcast Network hosts on one Twitter feed at at LockedOnNBANet. An awesome way to get all the latest opinions from the local experts during NBA free agency. That's at LockedOnNBANet. I can tell you my tweets are on there a lot too, so, you know, that's good. Hopefully you're also just following me at the Alex Wolf and Gavin at Gavin Shaw as well, but... Anyway, to get into the actual meat of our show here, so free agency starts today. Uh, <laughs> although you wouldn't know it from how the news was flowing out yesterday, uh, we intentionally recorded this in the morning of free agency, just in case anything came out overnight, because it seems like it's been a true 24-hour news cycle the last couple of days. But, uh, you know, no huge news broke overnight, but big news yesterday was Woj had that Kyrie is officially going to the Nets and presumably within minutes of the 6 p.m. moratorium opening tonight, he's going to be signing a contract with them or at least agreeing to one in principle. Can't actually sign it for uh, five and a half days or like five, five days and six hours, whatever. Uh, and Shams, even though Woj had reported a number of days ago that Kemba was, you know, Kemba Walker was going to sign with the Celtics. Shams came out with the official report that same same as with Kyrie, uh, Kemba Walker is pretty much going to be signing a max contract with the Celtics uh, the second that free agency opens, and he's already informed the Hornets that he is gonzo. Uh, other than the fact that this is very good for the Knicks from a Hornets perspective because the Hornets are, quite frankly, screwed, and I feel very sorry for that franchise right now. Uh, this is good for the Knicks because they have the Hornets second round picks in 2020 and 2021. And those look like they're going to be pretty good considering the Hornets are totally capped out and now are going to be Kemba-less. So yeah, that's a pretty big deal, Gavin. But other than that, what, do you have any strong takes on this news other than the fact that the Knicks aren't getting these guys now? 
No, it's still, I mean, it's, it's kind of wild that it's official. I mean, I think we've known for at least like around two weeks now that Kyrie was leaning towards Brooklyn. And it, it's still kind of shocking because I, I was always of the opinion, like, look, he, he's never going to leave Boston. Like, that situation is too good. Brad Stevens is too good of a coach. They're going to figure out a way to work it out, convince him that it's the best place to win, which is, I think it, I mean, at least at the time, clearly, clearly was. And, and when things went so incredibly wrong there, I just I couldn't imagine him not ending up on the Knicks. And this Brooklyn stuff came out and – you know, I mean, I'm, I mean, much to the chagrin of everyone who listens to this podcast, like a Brooklyn defender, but I, I was just surprised given his comments about playing at MSG. And I think, I can't remember if he grew up a Knicks fan, but it sounds like he, at the very least, he was like fascinated by the Knicks and always like just, as like, I think anyone who grows up in the tri-state area, just at least like the stage that they play on and, and just the sheer size and passion of the fan base. And it seemed like that was something he wanted to be a part of, but I think he's almost, I don't know. I mean, this is, it's, it's, I think it's like a fool's errand to try and play like armchair psychology with Kyrie Irving, but it, it does seem like the experience in Boston, um, even if you want to attribute most of what went wrong to him, I, I think kind of scarred him on being super duper in the spotlight. And I mean, it, it's, it's the NBA and the way it's covered at this point, that's going to be a reality wherever he plays. And especially like, I mean, Brooklyn's still obviously massive, massive, massive market. But I think it's a little bit less than what it was in Boston and obviously significantly less in terms of scrutiny of what he would get in New York. With the infrastructure there, they have a chance to be pretty good. So when you start breaking it down, I think from his perspective and what he seems to value, it does it does kind of make sense. But just, I mean, just actually seeing um, a premier free agent end up on the Brooklyn Nets is still it's just kind of wild. Yeah, I don't know if I've dropped this. I don't think I've dropped this theory on the pod yet. If I have, Gavin, feel free to stop me in the middle because I've been I've been spouting this one off for like a week now, and I can't remember where I spouted it off. So if if I'm getting into this and I've already done it, you know, stop me. But my theory is this: as far as KD and Kyrie are concerned, I think KD's injury changed the whole thing because I think initially it was going to be KD and Kyrie coming to the Knicks. And, you know, despite the fact that there was some rumblings that, you know, Kyrie would at least consider Brooklyn before the KD injury, the, you know, it started being reported that he was like going there the second that KD got hurt. Uh, and I think the reason is basically what you just said that I, I think, so if Kyrie and KD had both committed to the Knicks this year, Kyrie would have been the lone star for this whole year on the New York Knicks with presumably some young players, you know, they'd sign some vets, they try to be competitive, but if they underperformed and let's say like, God forbid they missed the playoffs or they only came in as like a seven seed, he would be catching scrutiny all year for that because it would be his fault that they weren't winning. Even though people would know that KD was, you know, on the mend, then it would be like, well, is Kyrie even good enough that once KD comes back at whatever you know, form he comes back in, are they even going to be good enough to do anything? People would be questioning Kyrie all year again, just like they did in, in Boston, but probably to a higher degree. And I don't think that appealed to him. So then, you know, once it came down to it, he was like, well, if I go to Brooklyn, presumably they have a better supporting cast. I, I, I'm going to be honest. I don't know how true that is because of the amount of players that they've had to renounce and get rid of and stuff to make room for him and all this extra money. But I guess we'll see as far as that goes. I mean, they still have Dinwiddie. They still have uh, Jared Allen. They still have Karis LeVert. I mean, I yep. guess those are your three biggest pieces there, other than D'Angelo Russell, who they're 
immediately replacing with Kyrie Irving. Uh, so I, we'll see as far as that goes, but I think that it's exactly what you said. I, I think he wanted to go somewhere where he's not going to be scrutinized as much yeah. and won't have to live with that, you know, premier market spotlight while still getting to play in a premier market. So good for him, I guess. Um, I, I don't know, you know, and, and as far as the Kemba stuff goes, I think it's kind of wild that Kemba like just straight up made up his mind right away to go to Boston, but maybe there's a a part of him that thinks like, oh, I can go to Boston and do what Kyrie never could, and I'll be better for them than he ever was. Um, I don't know if they got a rivalry like that, but you know, it's it, I could also see Kemba being attached to that area because he went to UConn. You know, despite being a New York native, he went to UConn, so maybe he, you know, feels an attachment to the you know sort of the northeastern in the Boston perspective more so than the, the New York perspective at this point. But yeah, I don't know. Just interesting on both sides. I guess yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm not too, I'm not exactly flabbergasted by it given the reporting that was out there before free agency, you know, really started kicking into gear here. For sure. Um, I, I think, I think in regards to Kyrie, I'm sort of torn on it because I, I think your theory, I mean, I, I thought similar things and I think it makes total sense. And I mean, I, I would personally argue, I think Brooklyn with Kyrie, could win 50 games next year. And I think if he was on the Knicks, they'd still be a lottery team. So I, th- I think it is a pretty dramatic difference, at least for next season. And I, I did, because I, I was kind of curious, because like, I couldn't quite remember when the Kyrie rumors started. I just found there was an article on um, NBC Sports, and it was basically just quoting um, Mark Stein on Stephen A. Smith's podcast, which is really, um, it, it, it's, it's sort of a long way to get there. But um, Stein said um, on the podcast at the time, this was published May 17th, right before the playoffs started, someone I trust very much told me they might be a package deal referring to Kyrie and KD, but they're going to look at the Nets just as hard as the Knicks. But again, this is third, fourth hand stuff. So, I mean, so take that for what it's worth. I mean, clearly, like, he hadn't come to a decision, and I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I think, like, push come to shove, like, KD could have talked Kyrie into the Knicks easier than Kyrie could have talked KD into the Nets. So I guess we'll find out in the next couple of days if that's actually true or not. Um, I, 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 I buy your idea. I think he would have ended up as a Nick with those two. And I, I do think that sort of shifted the paradigm, but I, I do think the Nets were a very real consideration and something he was thinking about even before Katie went down. Uh, as far as Kemba, it was, it was funny. I was just reading like Mark Berman, our boy had a, had a piece today. And he said something along the lines of, I mean, I, this doesn't explain why I wanted to go to Boston, but specifically not New York, that Kemba's mom apparently was like, and like his entire family were like really set against the idea of moving back to New York. And I, I do sort of get it again, like playing like armchair psychologist, like th- there is that added pressure that comes with winning and succeeding in your hometown. And I think despite the fact that Kemba, I mean, I mean he went to UConn and there are a lot of UConn fans in New York, but it's not, it's not like the primary team by any means. And he obviously has never played for the Knicks. I think despite all that, he is sort of beloved in New York right now. And unless like KD came and he won a title, then there was some upside there. But, like, in all likelihood, like, all he could do was, like, push that perception down a little bit by getting here, being on a huge contract. He, he's a smaller guard. By the time he's 33, 34, I think it's really a long shot that he's going to be worth the type of money that he's getting paid. And I think the last thing he'd ever want was to, if not be hated, at least be, like, slightly disliked by some fans in his home city and be seen as, like, a liability. So I think that could have been part of the logic. And the fact that he's just played for a franchise that's largely had an incompetent front office and has made all these idiotic signings and these, like, incredibly stupid decisions, like not taking four first-round picks for Frank Kaminsky, who they're just going to let go this summer, and taking Michael Kidd-Gilchrist at second. 
Um, and, and then instead he's going to Boston, who, I mean, clearly has had their faults over the last few years, but is still perceived as one of the better run teams across the league. So I think, I think both for Kyrie and Kemba, if you sort of backtrace their moves, they both make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. So Gavin, I feel like we should, before we get into the, the big pie in the sky rumor for the Knicks here, we should probably get into the one small news item that probably made a lot of Knicks fans happy. Lance Thomas his uh, guaranteed part of his contract was not picked up. So the Knicks bought him out for $1 million, which means as of right now, Lance Thomas is no longer a Nick, which I feel bad for saying because Lance is a really nice dude. It seems like he's just not a very good basketball player and I don't want to see him play much for the Knicks anymore. However, immediately after he got waived, it, it was reported, uh, I believe by Ian Bagley that they are uh, thinking of bringing him back on a minimum contract for next year, just to continue being a, a veteran mentor for the young players. I sort of wish they'd just give him a spot on the bench as an assistant coach at this yeah. point, rather than being an actual player. But regardless, for right now, Lance Thomas is uh, no longer a Nick, no longer the longest tenured Nick. So I, I don't know if you have any reactions to that news. I'm just kind of like, I feel bad for being happy or or like relieved about it but I am <laughs> it's it's the truth I am <laughs> I, I was I was just gonna say like the NBA like pseudo retirement program at this point is, is really incredible like you like look at what Miami did with like Udonis Haslam like that dude was washed in like 2007 and, and he's been on the team through that whole I I don't know if they're bringing him back next year but he like just by like being like a great teammate and like a culture setter. And, and basically, I mean, I think the idea with all these things, and obviously Thomas doesn't have the the history with David Fisdale that someone like Haslam has with um, Eric Spolstra, but it, it, it is, it is kind of amazing. Like the value of these franchises place on guys to be sort of um, conduits from the coaching staff to the players. I know there are rumors out there that like the Knicks could potentially like sign Vince Carter as like a 15th man this summer, which I, I would have more fun with than Lance Thomas. Though again, Shout out to him. Uh, shout out to his time uh, with the Knicks. Uh, much like you, never impressed me as a player much, but uh, certainly not a bad guy to have around. And Frank Nilakina is officially, um, even though they, they they tried to stop it, they tried to move him. He is officially your longest tenured Nick. So that's pretty cool. All right, uh, let, let's wrap up this first segment, Alex. I mean, we don't have to go too deep here because I think we're going to sort of break all this down in our third segment where we talk about like what we think is going to happen, what we want to happen for the Knicks. But sort of the most encouraging thing to come out in the last couple of days is that um, there seems to be mutual interest between Kevin Durant and Kawhi Leonard to play together. It's worth noting that Adrian Wojnarowski has said, I, I believe on, on SportsCenter or another ESPN platform, that it's more unlikely than likely that that actually ends up becoming a reality. But the only two teams with the cap space and the mutual interest um, for that to be a possibility are the Los Angeles Clippers and drumroll your New York Knicks. So, Alex, what was your reaction to that and the feasibility of that scenario possibly happening? Well, so Ian Bagley reported that the Knicks feel like they're still in the running for both players. I mean, it's I haven't seen anything explicitly out there that the Knicks are going to get a sit down or even so much as like a conference call with Kawhi as of yet. So it might even just be like the Knicks are going to call him and his agent on, you know, tonight at six o'clock and see what happens. Um, I certainly think they're going to want to touch base because they'd be stupid not to if there's even a, you know, a 5% chance that Kawhi wants to play in New York. You got to at least call, make your pitch, be like, look, man, like we'll look out for you. We got a big market. I think there is maybe something to be made of like, I don't know. I don't know how to put it. Like 
and this is totally just off my head with no reporting substantiating it, but I, I feel like maybe winning that title in Toronto and feeling how much that city appreciated it and how enormous that was for that city could maybe inspire Kawhi to give a stronger look to the Knicks because like as much as people look at Kawhi, like he's this robot and he, he does certainly act like a robot a lot of times, especially when, you know, when there's basketball to be played, that's all he gives a shit about. But like, I don't know. I just kind of feel like maybe he would look at the Knicks and be like, well, as good as it was just winning that title in Toronto, imagine if I won a title in New York for the New York Knicks, you could see during the parade and, and the aftermath and everything that Kawhi was certainly having a good time um, with all of that, with the celebrating and, you know, the glory of it all. So maybe that's something that would push him towards the Knicks. Um, I don't know, like between the Clippers and the Knicks, obviously the, the Clippers, I think have a, a better core at the moment, but they would have to, they would have to move some of those guys in order to create the, the cap space that they need. But they, they have, you know, Lou Williams on a below market value contract, uh, Montres Harrell as well on a well below market value contract. And they're both great players. Uh, they have Shea Gilgis Alexander, Landry Shamit. They have a couple of high picks coming up. Um, but they, they probably have to move. Well, they definitely have to move to Noah Gallinari to clear up two max spots, which would mean they'd have to get rid of some assets. Um, who knows what, if it would be players or picks or what have you. Um, the Knicks, obviously, they have their young core. They have uh, Mitch Robinson, R.J. Barrett, Lonzo Trier, Kevin Knox. They have the Dallas picks coming up. They have their own picks. Uh, if Kawhi would sign here, the Knicks pick this year certainly would not be high because the Knicks are at least making the playoffs, even with just their current roster plus Kawhi Leonard uh, and an injured KD on the shelf. Um, I, I don't know. I We'll get more into this in a minute, but I, I feel like KD to the Knicks is still very much in play, still very realistic. Kawhi, I'm not holding my breath for, but if these two have been talking and they really seem to like each other and they really want to play together and maybe, I don't know, like set their own narrative together as like the greatest NBA duo of all time or something, I, I don't know what their motivations would be to want to play with one another uh, other than just the fact that it's a, a very high probability of winning the whole thing. But uh you know, I I think it's uh, it's exciting that the Knicks are at least in the conversation, um, but I'm not I'm really not holding my breath for this scenario to come to fruition. If it does, uh, I'm gonna like uh, I'm gonna go streaking or something. Like I'm gonna be so happy. <laughs> I, I love the idea of, of Kawhi like, as basketball Jesus, and he just sort of like he just goes around and he just like gifts like the the worst or like the the most woe begotten franchises titles like. The Knicks get one, then maybe goes maybe later goes over the Clippers for a year, gives them a title, comes back east, plays for the Hornets for a couple of years. They win a few, goes over to the Pelicans, ends his career with Zion. They win a ring. It, it, it would it would just be great if he's just a basketball nomad, just goes, just murders the league, and then uh, switches to a new team. I, I do want to clarify one thing. I, I think in that um, Woj Ramona Shelburne report, they did say that Kawhi is at least expected to take a meeting with the Knicks. So that's encouraging that the Knicks will get a face to face, and much like with. Durant, um, there are some connections there. I think it was Steve Mills who, who grew up in the same area as his uncle Dennis. I think did Mark Berman say on our podcast they used to ride the train together or something mm-hmm. like that? Yeah, mm-hmm. that's, yeah. So there yeah, is, that's where the connection is with the Knicks to Kawhi is Uncle Dennis with Steve Mills. So 
Right. And, and Ian Begley, I know on our pot, like also noted that, look, I mean, and in retrospect, like it would have been great if the Knicks had done this. I don't know if they could have convinced him to stay, but, um, that they were, that Kawhi was certainly interested in New York a year ago. Um, all that being said, and again, we'll, we'll wrap this up in our third segment. Like I, I, I genuinely, like I, I don't buy the idea that Kawhi is going to the Knicks. It's just, it, there's just too much going for both. Toronto and the Clippers and now like the reports that the Lakers are like very much in the running too. Like at least in my mind, like the Knicks certainly seem like the fourth option of those four teams. And I think if anything, like Durant would prefer to play for the Knicks. Kawhi would prefer to play for the Clippers. And while they'd like to ultimately end up together, I think they end up going opposite ways. Cause I just, and we, we can, we don't have to litigate this now. We can, we can finish it up later. Or we don't have to discuss it all that much. But I, I just I, I can't imagine the Knicks being exceptionally good in Kawhi's first year without Durant. And I know there's an argument to be made well, like they to trade some of their young guys and they can get some vets. I, I just see like the the best best case scenario there would be a second round exit unless Durant made an amazing recovery and was back in time for the playoffs. But Kawhi, a guy who already missed a full season of his career due to injury, like I, I just, I can't imagine him willingly like sitting out contending for a year, even if it's if it's a picture perfect scenario with him and Katie in New York. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. I, I don't think it's exceedingly likely spoiler alert though. It's probably going to be <laughs> in our last segment. When we talk about our dream scenarios, that's probably going to be our, both of our dream scenario, but uh, we'll take a quick break. We'll get into the second segment where we talk about some more role player guys that have been linked to the Knicks over the last day. Ian Bagley, Vestin Y put out a really comprehensive primer. Uh, so we'll go over some of the names that he mentioned in there. And then when we get back for our third segment, we'll give you guys our final dream scenarios and realistic predictions for free agency. Welcome back in to Locked On Knicks. Gavin Shaw, Alex Wolf, giving you the latest on, can I even say free agency? Eve? I guess so. We're still, by the time this podcast gets published, we'll be about six, six and a half hours out. So we're, we're within range and, and some stuff, some dominoes are going to start falling. Uh, we want to remind you if you're in your car or even if you're at your home, you can ask your smart device to play podcast Locked On Knicks and we'll pop right up for you or anything else in the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, the Yankees are in London right now. They just, uh, dropped 17 runs on the Boston Red Sox. So, uh, you want to enjoy that. Uh, you can ask your smart device to play Locked On Yankees or again, any other podcast in the Locked On Podcast Network. All right, we are back, and uh, we're going to get into some of the secondary options for the New York Knicks. One that might not be so secondary, that seems like a fairly realistic scenario almost regardless of what else happens. The Knicks, Alex, have emerged as heavy favorites for Julius Randle. Randle, I believe, going to be entering either his, I think his fifth season in the league, I want to say, maybe it's his fourth um, he had a career year last year for the New Orleans Pelicans, 21 points, nine rebounds, three assists per game, a career best, 34% from three. And um, I, there was a report from Ian Begley that another team expected to meet with Randall early in free agency um, and had a meeting set up with Randall, and that meeting got canceled. And if you read the tea leaves on that one, seems somewhat indicative that Randall to the Knicks could be, if not an inevitability, a high likelihood. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on that, both in terms of feasibility and, I guess, I, I know you've talked about it a little bit, but Randall's, like, potential fit as a Nick. Well, we talked about this a little bit when Schmilk was on the other day about Randall. I don't I don't hate the idea of signing Randall. Um, I especially don't hate the idea if the Knicks, like, really – you know, if they don't get KD, they don't get anybody. 
as long as they don't commit like a four year max deal to Randall, like that would piss me off because that's that's a really big risk to take on a player like him with his track record, despite the fact that he's improved basically every season that he's been in the league. Um and had, you know, like you said, his career best last year. I would be totally cool with signing him like I mean, again, we'll talk about this in the next segment as far as what we think are the things that are going to happen with the Knicks. But if the Knicks could somehow finagle it where they sign him to like a two year deal, let's call it like a a two year, 45 to 50 million dollar deal, something like that, where you pay him like, you know, and maybe even front loaded, like pay him more this year. Um, I, I would be into that because, you know, it's like if you're not signing KD, and you're not signing the other max guys, you, you got to put the money somewhere. I would rather like overpay for him this year just for the, the first season. And then if you can work a team option into the second year with where it's either the same amount of money or like a minimal raise. So that way, you know, if the Knicks reach free agency next year and they're like, Oh, we don't have anybody that we're really looking at realistically. Cause it's basically like Anthony Davis and then a bunch of like B stars, B or C, depending on how you look at them. It's like Draymond Green, Kyle Lowry. Mike Conley, a bunch of decent restricted free agents who will probably just end up re-upping with their teams. So it's, you know, it's kind of a crapshoot next year other than Anthony Davis. Uh, I, I think it would be worth looking into because he's still so young. You know, it's his fifth year in the league. Uh, um, he's still in his early 20s. He's still got a lot of room to grow. I mean, it, common logic with how the NBA usually works says that he's not even going to reach his prime until midway through this next contract if you would get another long-term contract here. Um, you know, cause most guys reach their prime somewhere between the ages of 25 and 27. So he's still got a lot of room to grow. I think he's, he seems like he's a pretty good scorer. Uh, he's a good rebounder. I mean, I think, I think if the Knicks were relying on him to be any sort of defensive presence, this would be a disaster, but they wouldn't have to, uh, cause they have Mitchell Robinson to sort of clean up the mess there. And Mitchell Robinson is, you know, maybe already one of the top three or four defensive centers in the league. Uh, he might even be top one or two, if we're being honest. Like, I really think he's got that level of impact once he cleans up his foul issues, which he was by the end of the year. So I'm into it. I just, I wouldn't want to commit long-term money. I would want to hopefully give him a ton of money, that, you know, it, it, and then, you know, work in a, a team option for next year. Cause that way you could still bring him back next year. If, if Reeves, he doesn't look good. And then, still leave your space open for that 2021 free agency class when maybe some of your young guys have grown up a little more and things are looking a little better. But that's just kind of how I feel. I don't think it would be a dumb move for them to look at him. And it, it certainly does sound, you know, like you said, based off reporting now, that that they're pretty heavy favorites to get him at this point and, and maybe have already had some contact with him and are just waiting on some other dominoes to fall into place before agreeing to a deal. Yeah, I don't know. I, I just I, I don't see it with Randall. I, I don't think he's really a great fit. And I, I get the idea like the Knicks are going to be short on scoring next season as they were all of last season. But I, I, again, I I don't really totally understand outside the idea of like nominally taking some pressure off of them, like how he like he, he'd be beneficial from a developmental perspective to all the other young guys on the roster. Like I, I mean, in my mind, he's pretty close to like the worst type of big man you can put next to Mitchell Robinson unless his three-point shooting dramatically improves. But for Randall, 
of his game. It's always going to be about just using his physicality to bully his way inside and, and finish with some amount of creativity. And, and, and for Mitch, I think the best thing you can do for him is play four out, have shooting all over the floor, and just put maximum strain on a defense. Are you going to be? Are you going to put an extra man over to bump him or double him on those lob threats and leave a shooter? Or are, are you going to stay out and just let Mitch get dunk after dunk after dunk? And, and to me, Randall makes that equation dramatically easier for a defense. If, if I'm the Knicks, I'm looking for a shooter in that spot or, or just someone who makes everyone better across the board. Like I think Randall can put up numbers, but the story his entire career is, is that he's been able to put up numbers and his teams are consistently worse with him on the floor. So I, I don't think it's the best idea. That being said, if they don't sign anyone else, like I'm, I don't, it's not a, Total disaster if they just give him one year and look like if he's like really on like a trajectory that maybe I'm not predicting like a Victor Oladipo esque jump and I, I don't think he's that quite that kind of talent but maybe on the Knicks he could put up like 24 and 10 next year and I'm I'm just I'm just off and he shoots 36 percent from three then like all of a sudden yeah you got to steal him and, and it's it's amazing but it would be lunacy to give him money beyond one year I definitely don't mind a team option in the second if something breaks and he's really really good. But I, I just I don't really see it beyond that. Um, another guy I think it would be absolutely crazy for the Knicks to sign Alex is, is Terry Rozier. Are you, are you with me on this one? I, th- I think with Dennis Smith Jr. there, who's, who's four years younger and like functionally had the same numbers as him, and I, I think clearly he's more talent. It just it doesn't make any sense to me like why the Knicks would want him. I think Terry Rozier really sucks. Yeah, I think if the Knicks gave him any significant money, it's more or less on par with like remember when they signed Jerome James based off of one good postseason, and we were all like, what the hell is going on here? Like, I feel like this would literally be rewarding Rozier for two postseasons ago, like not even this past postseason, the one before. You know, the performance that he put on when Kyrie was hurt and when uh, the Celtics, you know, took uh, LeBron's Cavs to seven games in the Eastern Conference Finals and made that run. He had a good stretch of play there, but otherwise he sucks, man. His, his percentages are awful. He can't shoot. Uh, I, I just don't know why, like, I, his percentages are even closer to Frank Nilkina than they are to Dennis Smith Jr., you know what I mean? So I look at him and I'm like, so basically you're trying to sell me on a more aggressive, less good defensively, less lengthy Frank Nilkina. Yeah. And I, I don't like that idea. I'd rather just keep the Frank Nilkina that we have, roll with him, and keep Dennis Smith Jr., roll with him. And call it a day because I, I think Rozier sucks, and I really think he's got. I based off watching him, listening to him, uh, you know, seeing how he plays and how he acts, I just think that he's like, he's one of those guys that thinks he's way better than he is. Like I think he thinks that he's an All Star caliber player, or that he could be, and he definitely is not an All Star caliber player. Um, also, I mean, on top of everything else, it would just kill me to have to like. Because the reality is we'd have to root for him if he became a Nick. It, you know, in some way or another, we'd have to root for him. And it would kill me to root for a guy that I've been trashing for so many years because he sucks uh, on the Celtics. Because Celtics Celtics front office and, to some degree, Celtics fans have kind of uh, held him up as the second coming for a little bit. And it would it would not make me happy to have to support him in any way either. But, yeah, I'm very against that signing. I mean, I... I just to make it short and sweet, uh, I, I don't think he's very good, and I, I I don't know. I don't even know what the minimum threshold would be for what I would sign him to, because I don't even know if I would want him on like a no, veteran minimum. I, I wouldn't. If he paid the Knicks, I wouldn't want him on the team next year. It just that's it, what I'm saying. Like, like if it was literally like like 
like if it was a veteran's minimum contract, I don't even think I would want him on the Knicks because he would just have this like this like superiority complex about him, and I wouldn't want that around the team because I feel like he would be insisting on getting starting minutes and you know all this playing time, and he would still suck, and that would harm the Knicks. And then if the Knicks benched him, he'd start throwing a fit like he did in Boston. And, and, you know, in Boston, he was benched behind Kyrie Irving. Imagine the fit he would throw being benched behind Dennis Smith. You know what I mean? I just, I don't want him. I don't want him at all. I was going to say, like, I, I think he legitimately thought he was better than Kyrie Irving last year. Like, you had all these comments like, hey, you know, like, I mean, like, it wasn't like Kyrie and Gordon who, like, took us to the Eastern Conference Finals last year. Like, that was that was me, me Jason, and Jalen. And it was, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm sure, like, I think he's, like, a decent guy. Like, I read, like, this great story about, like, his – his dad getting out of jail and like getting to come to the games and like he seems like like good dude not not attacking his character but again very in, inflated opinion about his own abilities and I just think again like I, I thought it was nuts like when when teams were clamoring to trade a first round pick for him last year I thought that was like the greatest trick that Danny Ainge has ever pulled and, and I'm shocked he didn't pull the trigger on any of those moves because Rozier again I, I just I, I don't see it with him especially with Dennis Jr. <laughs> being on the roster and being four years younger. All right, Alex, let's, um, I think we were going a little long on these first two segments. We, we can just sort of go rapid fire on these last few guys. And, and to me, at least, and I know like a lot of people, I, I think, I think Randall, there's room for reasonable discussion on, though, at least to me, like Randall and Rozier, like sort of represent like the quintessential guys, like you compare Rozier to Jerome James, that the old Nick, the Knicks front offices of old would have signed and would have had a lot of interest in. The, the next couple of guys represent, I, I think, what the Knicks have been preaching about themselves, that we're going to be smart, we're going to be prudent, we're going to bring in the right type of guys that are going to let our young guns excel and highlight their abilities and, and just sort of be there as conduits for their success. And and, and there was a couple of names, including uh, Robin Lopez, who's obviously been a Nick in the past, um, a guy who you have absolutely zero character concerns about unless you're a mascot, uh, just a great dude, and I think a picture-perfect backup to Mitch in terms of what he brings to the table. And then uh, Reggie Bullock and Ray, Wayne Ellington, uh, both just really high-level shooters, not necessarily super multidimensional. But again, I think the best thing you can do around an R.J. Barrett, a guy who, who we've spent, uh, what, uh, hours and hours talking about how, like, the one or the single biggest reason he didn't succeed at Duke in terms of efficiency was not having ideal floor spacing. And for Mitch, I think the single biggest thing that could make him better next year is having ideal floor spacing around him. You look around the league, who are the types of guys you want to bring in for that? You want a Reggie Bullock or a Wayne Ellington sprinting around off ball, creating havoc, drawing the eyes of the defense, and, and not allowing um, your young guys to get harassed and doubled when they're going one-on-one. So I think those three really represent just picture-perfect fits for what the Knicks should be aspiring for, assuming they strike out on stars in free agency. And, and you know what, even if they bring in stars, I think those guys could be great fits on the team. Yeah, I love Rolo. I'm good with that. I thought that – I think he would be a great – backup and mentor to Mitch. He's a fantastic rebounder and great at boxing out and everything. Um, I mean, if you can remember back when he and Porzingis played together, Porzingis averaged, you know, better from, you know, rebounding numbers because Rolo would consistently, he doesn't care about his own numbers. He just, he gets, he boxes out well and, you know, does all the right things. And, and he's a pretty dope player and a really cool guy. I, I would really be down to bring him back. Um, I believe it was Shams that had the Knicks as the favorite for him uh, in his in his like sort of free agency wrap up yesterday. So that would be a dope move. Uh, Bullock and Ellington. I personally 
I feel like Allington's maybe the safer choice. I like Bullock a little better if they were going to pick one or the other. I mean, if they get both, sure, go for it, because you can't have too much shooting on the team. Uh, I would probably rather have Bullock, though, just because I, I think he still has a little bit of upside. Like, he's been sort of a late bloomer where he's been coming on these last couple years and, you know, showing to be a better player. Uh, he, he shoots a good percentage from three, and, and that's most of his utility. He can do, you know, he can play defense as well, but uh, I like him a lot. And then, uh, you know, a couple other names that came up. George Hill was one that was funny enough. That, that was one that we were talking about with Schmilk the other day. Uh, talked about George Hill as a potential backup, you know, slash mentor type player on the Knicks. I don't know. Like, he had a really, really good postseason. So I don't know if he'd necessarily be willing to jump right into just being a mentor like that on a team without something to play for. You know, he might want to – I think I saw a report also that the Bucks are going to try to bring him back. So he might not necessarily want to come to the Knicks unless the price was right, and the Knicks might not want to make the price right for him. You know, they might just want to float it out there like, hey, you can come here, you can, you know, be part of this team and help mentor these guys and whatever. He might be with that or against that. But he would be a great signing, I think, if they did get him because he could be a good – Mentor, honestly, for DSJ and for Frank in different respects. Uh, for DSJ, as far as like on defense, for Frank, as far as a role that he could fit on offense, uh, I, I think he could be a good mentor in both respects. Uh, James Ennis, I, I don't really have too many thoughts on in general. I think he's, I think he's fine. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't yeah, have a strong yeah, opinion one way or the other. Yeah. He's the epitome <laughs> of like, nah, I don't, sure. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you on Hill. Like, my initial thought was like, oh, you know, like, they'd have too many point guards, but I think sort of the beauty of Hill, and they, and they did this, um, in Milwaukee is that he, he can play off ball, and that's what's made him so valuable to Cleveland, um, to the Jazz when he was there, to Milwaukee last season, is that he, he is a point guard, he is a caretaker, he's smart, but he's a good enough shooter, and he's a good enough secondary attacker that you can play him with another primary ball handler for the Knicks, whether that's DSJ, whether um, Frank uh, gets his shift together or, or the Knicks get their perception of Frank together, like, and he gets some trials in that role, whether R.J. Barrett's running your offense at points later in the year. Like, Hill can can both, like, he, he can he can facilitate off of that and, as you noted, be a mentor to those two guys. So I, I really love him. I'm with you on Ennis. Uh, the only other guy that's been mentioned, and we, we talked about it a lot with Schmilk, so I don't think we need to go over it again, is Boogie. Um, you you kind of like the idea. I really don't like the idea. But uh, that that's essentially it. So, Alex, unless you have anything else to add, I think we can um, head to our final segment, give our dream scenarios on what the Knicks will do this summer and then what we think is realistically going to happen today and over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, let's wrap it up and get to that final prediction. Always the most fun part of uh these shows right before these major events at least at least our draft one was so yeah, hopefully this one we can uh, uh give off some optimism and stuff so we'll be right back to talk about that welcome into the third and final segment of locked on Knicks. i'm alex wolf he's gavin shaw and we are going to give our dream scenarios real quick for free agency uh we're not going to linger on them too long because i think you guys already know what the dream scenario would be And I don't personally think it's that likely, so I'm not going to stoke hope for too long with it. Uh, But, Gavin, my dream scenario is KD and Kawhi. Uh, I mean, I don't know how that could be anybody's, like, not be anybody's dream scenario at this point, because Kawhi literally just won an NBA title. Uh, KD won the two titles before that. Granted, he's part of the Warriors, but still... They're both championship caliber players. They're both number one options, uh, but they're also 
players that, you know, can play well with others, clearly with KD, with how he played in Golden State, Kawhi with, I mean, he's just an, uh, completely like the team player. Like he's, <laughs> he's ridiculous. I, I can't, Kawhi like blows my mind just how like, He does literally just what is needed for his team to win basketball games. Like, he will score if he has to score. He'll distribute if he has to distribute. He will lock down the other team's best player if he has to. He will, like, I don't know, go in the front office and sign the contracts and work the salary cap numbers. I I don't know what he can't do at this point uh, because he's he's just amazing. So I that's my dream scenario. It's not even close. There's no other scenario that would make me happier than if KD and Kawhi signed. That said, if I had to attribute like a percentage value to how likely I think it is to happen, I I would maybe put it like 10%, and that's heavily weighted by the fact that I still think KD is coming to the Knicks. Uh, and, you know, so it, just the chances of Kawhi coming to the Knicks, I would put it maybe like, like 2% or something. It's really not much. Yeah, I just I, I don't see it. I think the Knicks are clearly. I, I said in the first segment. I, I think they're clearly the fourth option. There, there are just better reasons for him to go to Toronto or one of the Los Angeles teams. If he had that same connection to New York, I'd say there was a chance there. But I, I just don't see it. Um, and, and I, I, I kind of. I mean, I mean, this is maybe a little patronizing because he knows a little bit more than us. But I, I'm, I'm with uh, Woj in the sense that I, I, I think it, it's appealing, like the idea of KD and. Kawhi playing together, I just think they have different objectives and different desires that I don't, I don't think it's actually going to end up happening. Um, it, but let's, if you want to indulge the hypothetical for a second, like even a diminished version of Kevin Durant, I think you're winning, assuming, assuming some level of continued health for both those two, which obviously isn't a guarantee. I, I think you're winning multiple titles if you get those two guys on your team. There's just no one who can match that type of wing talent across the league. And there's not, two better wings that have ever played together in NBA history. Like you, you can make a case for Wade and LeBron the first year, but I, I just, I don't think anyone is, is quite in that conversation in terms of two way versatility. Uh, final prediction. You, you, you're more confident than I am, Alex. I have no idea what Kevin Durant is going to do because there are just such obvious pros and cons to each situation. And, and there was before he tore his Achilles and, it seemed like it was a guarantee that he could get a second free agent to come with him to New York. That that seemed like the obvious answer. Now that he'd potentially be coming on his own, I, I don't know. Because I think I think New York I'm I'm with you. I think New York has most likely always been the number one choice. There's a reason there was such a consensus in the reporting on it. And yet simultaneously, what is he looking at on the Knicks now? We we've talked about the fact that next year's free agent class isn't extraordinarily deep and there isn't that high-level guy that is just an obvious partner for Durant in terms of chasing a title. If he comes back not at 100% on a really young team, it's sort of, not from from the Knicks' perspective, I made it pretty clear, I think the Knicks should do anything they can to sign him, but it is sort of setting himself up, if not for disaster, for a somewhat disappointing run and a scenario where he never, even if he comes back like 80%, he puts up 27 points per game for two, three seasons in a row, where he never gets to win a title. But you look across the board, the Clippers, like, they're great, but is that, like, is that really the market he's going to go for? Like, why would he really want to leave Golden State 
for LA. And I think the Warriors would have been an option for him to go back to, but you just, you get the sense that, that trust has eroded a little bit. And clearly it's not, not in full because he is giving Golden State a meeting and, and he does, and there, it's what, 40, 50 million extra dollars on the table. Like that, that can make up for some trust issues. I just feel like he's sort of been there, done that. He's proven the fact that he, he was essential to their title hopes and, and they did need him. So I, I just, I don't know what he has to gain from going back there unless he is just genuinely happy there. He, he's willing to forgive whatever errors went into the Achilles tear and, and he just wants to ride off to the sun, ride off into the sunset in Golden State. But Alex, can you make more of it than I can? Because I, I just don't see the obvious winning option for him, I guess. Yeah, I feel like, I feel like the Knicks are still the favorite. I, and maybe I'm misguided here, but I think, I think that, I mean, here's, here's my honest, uh, uh, you know, read on the situation. I think that the Knicks have been in contact with him all year. I, I feel like that's obvious based off the reporting and everything. I mean, there was reporting all the way back to like training camp that uh, maybe even to last summer, you know, during, uh, during the late stages of the off season that Durant was considering the Knicks and it became more and more sure all the way up until the Achilles tear, which maybe swayed Durant's thinking a little bit. But I also wonder if some of this was all part of the plan anyway, not the, not the injury, obviously, but the leaks about other teams uh, being in the running just so that it wouldn't create this, this sense that it was the Knicks all along and that there wouldn't be potential tampering investigations and everything else. Although Quite frankly, at this point, any tampering investigation is a joke because I don't know how the, the Knicks would be able to get investigated for tampering at this point, but Boston wouldn't be able to get investigated for tampering with Kemba, and the Nets wouldn't be able to get investigated for tampering with Kyrie when both of those deals were literally announced two days before free agency was even set to start. Uh, so, you know, I feel like maybe some of this was coordinated. I do think he's legitimately considering, you know, who he might team up with. I'm sure that he is more than aware of the free agency situation coming up next year, but I'm also sure I, I think Kevin Durant's pretty smart as far as how this, how this league works and how things generally go down. And he knows that, you know, a, there's a chance that the Knicks young players could really start to pan out and maybe he would just be coming back to a great young team. But also there's a chance that, you know, some stars, you know, uh, let's say Bradley Beal is a guy that keeps coming up who has two years left on his deal. You know, he might become available next summer or something. And then they could bring him on for Durant's second year and do something like that. So, you know, there's, there's all kinds of things out there that, you know, other than just next year's free agency class, they could help the Knicks build a good team around Durant. I just think in general, he zeroed in on the Knicks so long ago. I, I feel like there was probably some sort of, some sort of backdoor commitments, you know, to this whole thing, like, you know, where he basically had already told the Knicks, like, yeah, I'm, I'm going to come to the Knicks. Uh, I don't know that for certain, but you know, I, I feel like he, he'd probably want to honor his word in that respect, even if it wasn't like a firm contract signed situation. Um, I also think that coming to New York is, you know, it's something different than just basketball to him. Uh, because if, if this whole decision was just based on basketball, he would just go to Golden State and stay there because he'd get more money there and he'd have the best chance of winning multiple extra titles there. I think he's coming to New York because he wants to build his personal brand. He wants to set himself up for his post-playing career, which honestly is, is even 
more of an issue now with, with the Achilles injury. You know, who knows how he's ever going to come back playing-wise. Uh, so, you know, to have himself set up further with his, uh, his you know, his ventures company and all that is, you know, uh, definitely a factor to him now. I, I just, I think it's the Knicks. I don't know. I, I told you this pre-show. I feel like this feels a lot like how the LeBron saga went down last year, where all year it was getting reported, oh, LeBron to LA. We think LeBron to LA is going to happen. LeBron to LA. And then the couple weeks before free agency, then you started seeing, oh, well, you know, LeBron might be going back to Cleveland. He might go back there to try to, you know, win another title or whatever for his hometown. Oh, he might go to Philly because Philly's a good situation. They have max cap space. Oh, he might go here. He might go there. You know, there's a couple other options that came up, and the Lakers started to hit the back burner a little bit, and then, boom, all of a sudden, you know, free agency hit, and it's like LeBron signs with the Lakers. No-brainer. Done. And I, this certainly wouldn't be the first time that Kevin Durant took a play out of LeBron's playbook. Uh, as far as how to handle, you know, his agency. And I, I think this might just be another case of, you know, KD doing things sort of the LeBron way, and he'd already had his mind made up and was going to come to New York more or less no matter what, and he's just going to do it now and, and see how it happens. But I guess we'll see. I don't know. I mean, that's – I may as well just roll this right into my prediction for free agency, which my realistic prediction, not my dream scenario, but my realistic prediction is – the Knicks are going to sign KD, I think. And then I do think they're going to sign Julius Randle also uh, to a deal that's going to pay him a lot of money for at least one year and maybe for a second year because they realize next year's free agency classes and all that. And Randle, I think, is a good enough player that you could, you know, if he puts up good numbers like he did last year, this year, you could find some team that would be willing to, you know, take him on, even if the Knicks had to pay a second-round pick or something to get rid of him. It, you know, they, you'd be able to move him if he was on a two-year deal. So I think that's what they're going to do with Randall. Still leave themselves open for 2021 for that big free agency class. And then I think they're not going to pay Randall max money for one or two years. They're going to give him, you know, probably something in the $20 million range, somewhere around there. And then use the rest of that, like, $10-plus million to sort of just fill out the roster, get some good vets to help these young kids along. You know, maybe some of the guys that we mentioned already, Bullock, Ellington, George Hill, um, and just sort of roll with that, do what they can this year to get better and prove to KD that it was the right choice to come here, uh, make their draft selection in next year's draft, use that Hornets pick, which we already mentioned, you know, to get another good player in the early second round, and then hit the ground running in uh, 2020 to 2021 with Kevin Durant hopefully fully healthy. So that's that's my realistic prediction for what I think is going to happen. Yeah, I think I'll just push back a little bit on the idea that Katie has his mind made up. Because remember last year with LeBron, like it's not like he, he didn't personally take any other meetings. Like, he had he had some of his representatives go and meet with Philly. And I think people like generally agreed like that was like to your point, like trying to just I mean, like doing them a courtesy. And I, I think because of the Ben Simmons connection. And then Denver was like desperately, desperately trying to get him in a room, and he, he just he, he knew he was going to LA. And with KD, at least in my mind, I think like all the reporting we've seen is that he genuinely doesn't have his mind made up. There was, there's been all that talk of like him and Rich Kleinman like being in New York and kind of huddling and figuring things out. Like there seems like such a strong consensus that he's not quite sure what he's doing. And I know there, I guess there were somewhat similar reports with LeBron out there last summer, but I, I just think with with Durant, there is there at least there seems to be a little bit more of an ability to get 
insight on him. Like, he's not like Kawhi, where, like, his camp is, is, is one guy. Like, we, we are, I, I think we are getting some credible reporting, and I guess to that point, you could make the case, like, okay, I mean, the credible reporting all year has been that he's a, he's a lock to go to New York. And, and, that, and that's right, but the Achilles just so, so shifted things. I, I think, I really, really believe he doesn't have his mind made up yet. I don't think he'd be taking meetings with all these teams, or at least, I mean, that's what it seems like he's going to do right now, uh, if, if that was the case. If, you're right, and he was ready to sign with New York all year. Like, I, I wouldn't be surprised, like, if we know in the next 24 to 48 hours, and that's just kind of out there, and maybe I'm completely off on it, and I'm naive, and, and that's been the case the whole time. But I, I, I really, I, I don't, I, I don't think he is his mind made up. I'm actually going to go, and uh, just, just to be a downer, because that, that seems to be my role in this podcast, I'm going to go a different direction and say, Katie, I don't know where, but he signed with Brooklyn, LA, or Golden State. The Knicks end up with Julius Randle. Uh, I pray not Terry Rozier, so I'm going to say not Terry Rozier because I want to I want to keep this a little rosy. They pick up one of those two shooters in Reggie Bullock and uh, Wayne Ellington and uh, Rolo. And I don't that's not that's not my favorite scenario, but if they do exactly as you said and only give one year guaranteed money to Julius Randle, it's not the worst thing in the world. It could make them a little bit more watchable next season. And as long as they surround or they build the rest of the roster out with a combination of young guys and vets whose job it is to make R.J. Barrett and Mitchell Robinson's lives easier, uh, I, I'm i not thrilled, but I, I, I can live with that. Yeah, it's, I mean, that would, that would kind of suck to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. being totally like, honest. <laughs> yeah, I, like, <laughs> like, your option, I I would much rather, like, I know you hate this, but, like, if if we were in that scenario, like you just said, I'd almost, I'd want to, like, throw money even at Boogie or something. Like, literally just do something with high upside. Like, I just feel like if they just make the safe plays on everything, like, when I say high upside, I mean, like, if you throw money at Boogie, only make it for one year. But throw money at somebody that you think could maybe blossom into something or, like, in the case of Boogie, return to form, you know, see if maybe that works. That's why I like I like the Randall move, you know, potentially because as much as I don't I don't think he's ever going to be a defensive stalwart or anything. His offensive prowess is getting better, and I, I think that he could fit with Mitch, and that would be worth exploring as long as you're not committing like huge long term money to him. So I would just that's my main plea to the Knicks front office: don't do anything stupid, but also don't play it too safe. Like don't don't necessarily swing for the fences and feel like you have to hit home run, but also like, don't lay down a bunt, you know, like go for, go for like a double, maybe, you know, try to hit the, hit the corner or whatever. I, I don't know. I, <laughs> baseball analogies aside, I just want, I just want something to feel a little hopeful about for this coming season. And quite frankly, like if they just signed just the supplementary vets to go with our young guys now, I'd feel like we were going to be tanking again next year. And I, and I don't, want to do that like if if the Knicks can make it not to I mean it, it pains me to say this but if the Knicks can can do similar to like what the Nets did this year and make that push to maybe become a low seed playoff team next year that would be more than fine by me like I think that would be a great scenario and if they could use this money smartly without committing anything too long term to guys that aren't worth it I think that would be the way I'd want to go and bet on some upside and see if maybe we can improve a little bit next year. Well, the good news is we only have about six hours until all this will start being official. I'm sure by the time this podcast is up, um, some news will have trickled out that we haven't anticipated yet. But as far as speculation, that'll be it for now. We'll talk to you again. Uh, maybe, maybe when Kevin Durant is in it. Who knows? Next time on Lockdown Nets.